You're listening to the Beyond Age podcast series. Hi, and welcome to Beyond Age, a Manulife exclusive podcast where we chat with experts to uncover the truth about holistic health and aging to help keep you living healthier for longer, no matter your age. I'm your host, Brent Bishop, and today I'm joined by Bryce Wild from Toronto, Ontario, Canada's leading alternative medicine expert and a natural healthcare practitioner who is also the founder of Wild on Health. We'll be discussing the impact of stress and anxiety on our mental health as we age. Welcome, Bryce. Thanks so much, Brent. I appreciate you having me on the show. And let it be known, there's a few giggles and shenanigans <laughs> throughout. People should know that first and foremost, we are friends, maybe even brothers from another mother. You got it. You got it. So obviously, we've known each other. We go way back in the health industry as friends and in the media industry as well. But for our listeners out there, why not start off by just telling us a little bit about what you do and perhaps why you got into this field? Yeah, sure. Most folks would understand the term long ago coined alternative medicine. We still appreciate that term. It's evolved since though. So I started practicing at least 22 years ago. Now, if I really do the math, clinical practice, it's since evolved into complementary alternative medicine and then even more recently into something we term functional medicine. In my own personal practice, there's a number of medical doctors, osteopaths, physiotherapists, massage therapists, folks that practice naturopathic medicine like myself, acupuncturists, et cetera. And the group, you know, separately and together, practice functional medicine. That's really understanding the individual at N of one, that personal level, personalized medicine, understanding their biochemistry, physiology, mental and emotional aptitude, and frankly, with a very high appreciation for genetics, DNA. Of course, what we have now learned is that you can't change your genes. You know, the cards that mom and dad have dealt you in this game of life, it's all about how you play those cards. So you can't change your DNA, but you can manage genetic expression. So all that put together, it's really just practicing best medicine. You're obviously very passionate about the field. What's your number one reason for getting into it? I grew up in a home where my mother was quite ahead of her time. You know, we were bike riding anywhere we could go. We were recycling before that was even a thing, composting, whatever was left remnants from our daily meal, planting and gardening out the back. I quite early age learned about herbal medicine. We had an Austrian family next door to us, the Kosacek's, and you know, they were those that influenced my own mother. Had a large family, eight children. Anytime it was a bellyache or a head Headache, you know, a small niggle or a cold flu, it'd be over to Margaret Kosicek. What do you do for this? And my mom took lead from that. I grew up in that way. Not that we wouldn't go to see the doctor when and if it was necessary, but it was always that first line medicine, that first line therapy to initiate the body's natural healing responses before any sort of necessary triage by what we alternately refer to as conventional medicine. Got into clinical psychology, spent some time at Queen Street Mental Health Center before it evolved with the Clark and became what we know know as CAMH, Center of Addiction and Mental Health. And by the way, I found in the library, the barracks of the research library where they stored old files that in the 40s and 50s, they were using natural therapies with patients there with really good success. Turned a light bulb on, decided to go back to school and really learn the ways of natural medicine to make you know the biggest impact on my patients. And the rest is history. Sparked by childhood and continued the momentum throughout. You got it. So have you ever observed in your research and your work the negative impact of stress on mental health as we age? Boy, I refer to stress really as North America's number one silent killer. And it's silent because it creeps over a lifetime through years and decades, you know, contributes to heart disease and immune system breakdown, sleep interruption, you know, of course, uh, depression in the long term, even cancer, the big C. And it ages us faster, Brent. You know, it ages us exponentially faster. 
So this concept of acute stress, little bits and pieces here and there, our body's meant to deal with that, but chronic long-term stress, texts and emails and cell phone calls and the next deadlines, and this is the modern age dilemma. Stress and anxiety fuels you know, a rapid aging cycle in the human body, body physiology. Our biochemistry is sped up. We might be living a little longer if we do this age match comparison. We live longer, but in dis-ease. So if my research has led me to believe anything, we live longer, but we live longer with poor health. The objective in this case, obviously, in my practice, and the message I want to spread far and wide is gerontologists refer to this as squaring the curve. So, you know, as of our early 20s into our perhaps early 30s, no matter what we do with our bodies, we're pretty healthy. We're resilient. You know, we're born into this world, hopefully without any congenital issues. We're pretty resilient and healthy until that age. And then in modern society, based on stress and the SAD, S-A-D, standard American diet, SAD diet, poor lifestyle, lack of exercise, sedentariness, you know, way too much screen time, we evolve into this, you know, really sort of pathetic state of affairs biochemically, and we start to decline, experience whatever we might be predisposed to, genetically and otherwise, to disease early on. And then in our, you know, early 50s and 60s, it's infirm states, you know, we're not able to do what our bodies are supposed to do anymore more and we might live out the last, you know, 20 or 30 years of our life in poor health. Squaring the curve means living as long as we possibly can. And then here's what I like to refer to it as dying healthy. So mm. live as long as we can and then boom, God willing, pass off in our sleep at the age of 110. That's the objective. Wow. Those are some good points. I think, you know, more than ever, specifically now, stress and anxiety are a real reality for so many people. You know, in our ongoing pandemic reality, 15% of Canadians screen positive for generalized anxiety disorder. What basic steps can you take at any age to manage stress and anxiety, whether it's general or even to do or relate to this pandemic? Wow. You know, each of us born into this world have this personal ability to cope with the totality of mental, emotional, and physical stress factors. The limit of that ability, the point at which if we exceed it, our health fails, that's our threshold. So each of us has this very personal threshold, this ability to manage. I don't like to refer to it as coping with stress. That's also not good. Managing stress. So our personal threshold appears to be the end result of many cumulative factors, including mental, physical, including nutrition, environmental, and those genetic factors. But before heading into this, you know, brief descriptions I like to refer to as biology of stress, I'd love to describe hormesis. Have you heard of this? I have heard of it, actually. And that's probably because you're an exercise intuit and celebrity exercise professional, because exercise is a perfect example. Too much is no good. Your body breaks down too little. And of course, you know, you're gaining the bad fat and you're not, you know, active cardiovascular systems fail. You're not healthy. Sometimes an agent, you know, let's refer to it as anything, an agent is damaging to an individual organism at high doses, but induces a beneficial response at lower doses. And this is the phenomenon that we call hormesis. And the agents that bring about hormesis are called hormetins. So exercise is a hormetin. Moderate intermittent stress is another example. So physical factors such as, a, you know, moderate exercise, irradiation for that matter, thermal shock cold stress. These are all grouped into physical hormetins. Of course, there are mental, emotional ones as well. Factors that lead to social and mental well-being of an individual, the psychological hormetins, this is where folks are experiencing discombobulation in this day and age. There are too many of them. Can't deal with them and they're too high a dose. So this includes mental engagement, you know, with things like I mentioned earlier, emails, texts, being at a beck and call and not having downtime. But when we get over to brain activity that engages in 
delta wave, focused attention, alertness, concentration, such as focused meditation. That's a perfect example as to where to start. The point I wanted to make is that evidence is clear that some stress, just the right amount of stress, can actually be good for us. I call these stressors the Goldilocks hormetans. So most of us experience too much stress, it becomes chronic, and it ages us faster. That's what we're talking about here. And of course, I don't recommend that anyone goes out and exposes themselves to various forms of low-grade radiation. But what I want to emphasize is that exercise, intermittent fasting, thermal shock, cold, hot exposures, the kind you survive, can be great for your brain to adapt and to learn to limit the effects of stress and anxiety. When you're experiencing physical or emotional stress, and this is top line, Brent, as you know, because there's so many aspects of how stress affects the human biology, physiology, and mental emotional states, but cortisol and adrenaline is released. We've heard of this before. It's orchestrated by a concert of events that start in the hypothalamus and pituitary, deep centers in the brain that signal the adrenal glands, which sit atop each side of your kidneys. There's two of them, pyramidal-shaped structures. They release adrenaline and cortisol. These hormones trigger the liver to release glycogen, which is a type of sugar that we store just for this very situation of acute stress. So the rush of sugar gives us this energy boost to run from or confront a threat. We know this as fight or flight, the opposite of which, by the way, is the parasympathetic state or rest and digest. So under normal circumstances, circumstances, the fight or flight response is short-lived. However, when it's chronic and the body experiences this repeated sugar spike and insulin receptors, by the way, which are on all our cells, which work to let sugar pass into our cells, eventually get tired and worn out. So I like to refer to this as tired but wired in this state of chronic and acute peaks of stress. So over time, the pancreas has to release more and more insulin to help get the sugars through the worn out insulin receptors. And this is known as insulin resistance. So this is the big underpinning of how stress and anxiety is aging us, chronic. And science has concluded that, you know, those with long-term anxiety and depression is not only more likely to develop diabetes, but also, again, age us faster. So, you know, by the way, one great test to ask your doctor for to run on an annual physical that relates to all of this and the amount of sugar in your diet, it's correlated, is called A1C or hemoglobin A1C or glycosylated hemoglobin, which is basically a reflection of blood sugar levels over time. You know, high percent of glycated hemoglobin proteins will increase the amount of free radicals, oxidative stress. I wrote my whole first book on this, the antioxidant prescription, which accelerates the aging process by causing substantial damage directly to your DNA. Full circle then to your question, you know, what do we do and how do we manage all of this stuff? Well, I think if you optimize your exercise routine, your nutrition, your sleep, your gut brain, even your heart brain, then you manage just about any degree of stressors that life throws at you. The gut brain's a really interesting area that you know my research has led me to focus a little more on. The gut falls apart. Gut and brain are very connected through the vagus nerve. So when the brain is upset, the gut's upset. And when the gut's upset, the brain is upset. So we've come to learn a lot about this gut-brain connection and how important keeping a healthy microbiome in the gut is to mental and emotional health and even longevity. So it gets really interesting, specific strains, and we're learning more and more about the microbiome. The strains and species of these little bugs, these healthy, good bacteria, have been studied with respect to the health benefits that they convey. For example, we've got a lot of strong evidence around this lactobacillus acidophilus strain, CL1285, that protects against the treatment for antibiotic-associated diarrhea. On the other hand, there's no evidence that this particular strain would do anything for stress or anxiety or longevity. 
But the combination of Lactobacillus helveticus, different strain, and this Bifidobacterium longum R0175 have specifically been developed to support the gut-brain connection and research as it relates to reducing anxiety and depression. So using select strains and species to manage our mental and emotional aptitude. The gut-brain connection, I think, is an area of focus just in its infancy, but I think it'll tell us you know, a lot more. The story is unraveling and developing as it relates to how to better manage stress and anxiety and slow down aging. Managing the heart-brain connection, we're learning more and more about breathing techniques and sort of managing this thing called heart coherence and heart rate variability. And I know you know a lot about that. I find this magical. Your heart sends more signals to your brain than your brain sends to your heart, believe it or not. In fact, your heart is such a significant cluster of nerve tissue that it's basically a mini brain. And so research has discovered that this heart brain can learn, remember, make functional decisions independent of the brain's cerebral cortex. Some experiments actually have demonstrated that the signals that the heart continuously sends to the brain influences the function of higher brain centers involved in perception, cognition, and emotional processing. Point is, there is a lot that we can do to manage this biochemistry that's escaped us. It's gone off the rails in this day and age. That's excellent, yeah. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back after this message. Enjoying the show so far? Don't forget to visit our website, manulife.ca slash livehealthier for even more tips, videos, and content from Manulife that can help keep you living healthier for longer, no matter your age. Welcome back to Beyond Age. I'd like to make a shift into more of the genetic aspect of things. We know that studies have linked chronic stress and anxiety with shorter telomeres, chromosome component that's been associated with cellular aging. What can you tell us about the science behind aging and stress? Yeah, so this is a really interesting concept. You know, inside the trillions of cells in your body, of which we're made up, lies this little nucleus. And inside that there's DNA. And nuclear DNA ages with every cell division. As your cells divide, they're dividing because of instructions that chromosomes divide and tell the cell to divide. That's all regulated by hormones and a whole bunch of other things. But keeping it as sort of top line as possible, think of taking a photocopy of a page of text, right? And then taking a photocopy of that photocopy and then a photocopy of that photocopy. Eventually, letters fade, you know, some get lost, the edge of a page gets all distorted. It's similar to a cell cycle of division. So there's something called the Hayflick limit. So a normal human cell only replicates and divides about 40 to 60 times before it can't divide anymore, or it doesn't want to divide anymore. Frankly, if it does, it starts to make mistakes, and of course, that can contribute to things like cancer. And it will purposely break down by what's called programmed cell death, something called apoptosis. But you have two ages, right? You have chronological age and biological age. So your chronological age is how old the calendar says you are. And your phenotypic or physical looking biological age is basically the age at which your body functions as it compares to your average fitness or health levels in the population. But people you know, who are the same chronological age on the calendar aren't at all necessarily the same risk for developing cardiovascular disease or diabetes or cancer or for that matter, even dying. What the biological age does is it gives us a better idea of where somebody stands relative to their age. So those of the biological age lower than chronological age have a mortality of risk that is much lower, while those that you know age older, essentially physically from a biological standpoint, have a much higher mortality risk and are potentially more prone to developing the diseases associated with that higher age range. So back to your question on chronic stress damaging our DNA, various genetic markers, including 
including telomeres, can be used to determine biological age of an organism. So if you think of your DNA like these long strands of shoelaces, essentially, tucked into the nucleus of your cells, then telomeres are like the little plastic bits at the end. So over time, wearing and tying your shoes enough time and when they drag along the ground and, you know, you run along, you know, it's not just the soles that run out. These plastic bits can break, they can shrink, they can fray. That's what happens as the cells divide over time. So the thing to remember is that they shorten and they fray and they break much faster under chronic stress. By testing these little bits and fragments, which are testable, the length is a very good correlation to your biological age. And here's the good news, Brent. We can actually slow down the speed at which they shrink. We can actually measure things like telomerase, the enzyme that shrinks them and slow them down. Does that also have a relation to somebody's mental health? You know, having better mental health at a specific age if you're slowing that shrinking? Sure, that's a great question. So, you know, things like hippocampal volume is something that we can measure. The size of your hippocampus, which is another brain center in charge of memory and neoplasticity, the ability to form new neurons and connections. So the health of the brain is entirely related to the health of the body and vice versa, of course. So yeah, absolutely. The faster that you are aging, measured by, in one way, telomere testing, also predicts the speed at which your brain will age and therefore decline, which also directly correlates to your mental you know, faculty and therefore your psychological, your ability to manage stress for that matter. The lower your biological age, the better your ability to manage with stress and anxiety. I think those are directly related. I know part of your work involves customizing the care for your patients based on genetics. And I know that we can attain a wealth of health information on a specific person by just a simple genetic test. Right. You can't change your DNA. You can't alter your genetics. I mean, it's, you know, what mom and dad have dealt you in this game of life, as I like to refer to it as. So whereas you can't alter your DNA, can't manipulate it or change, or maybe one day we can. I mean, this is the new concept around the idea that maybe we can get in there and manipulate our DNA. But otherwise, at least at this point in time, you can't change your DNA. However, you can manage genetic expression. That's the kicker. This is the coolest thing of the latest, well, really only a couple of decades now. And there's a couple of genes that I often look at for my patients. One is called COMPT or catecholomethyltransferase. Now you don't have to remember this long name or acronym, but essentially this is a gene that is responsible for how long catecholamines or the adrenaline, the noradrenaline, how long that sits in your brain. Some of us have genes that dictate that it'll sit in our brain for a long period of time. Others were really quick to essentially scrub it out of our brain. So the longer noradrenaline and adrenaline sits in your brain, you can imagine the longer that individual's predisposed to the hamster wheel effect, right? The idea that they're ruminating on certain experiences. And then there's a gene called ADRA2B or ADRA2B. That gene is responsible for the management, or in some folks, the mismanagement of adrenaline. And so the combination of these two genes, one is known, the COMPT gene is known as the worrier or warrior gene, all right? Are you a worrier or are you a warrior? The ADRA2B gene is known as the drama queen gene. So if you've got a slow COMT or COMP gene and the ADRA2B gene, which is not necessarily the most favorable gene, the combination of those two, you know, without oversimplifying it, causes an individual to be much more predisposed to, you know, the effects of chronic stress and anxiety. And frankly, the studies are very, very concrete and evidenced around the idea that this is what predisposes folks to post-traumatic stress disorder. 
And the good news is that, again, you can't change those genes if you've got them. And there's a way to test for them, by the way, thednacompany.com, of which, by the way, I was a co-founder, so everyone understands, full disclosure. But the test reveals your genetic aptitude these different ways, and then you can do stuff about that. You can literally, you know, adjust your diet. You can, you know, focus on certain supplements to take on a daily basis, which can manage the genetic expression of some of these, of which I love to use with my patients in this category called adaptogens, which are the use of certain certain herbs, rhodiola, ashwagandha, just to name a few that help to manage this genetic susceptibility. So DNA is a wonderful thing. This executive function, I mean, there's dozens and dozens of genes that we look at. These are just two. But again, the notion that you can't change your DNA, but the great news is that you can manage or modify this genetic expression should you be predisposed to high degrees of anxiety and stress from a genetic place. That's a refreshing revelation for a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah, we're born into this world with different hair color, eye color, ethnicity, etc. Most people don't realize that our executive function, the ability to cope or manage with stress is also very genetic. And some of us can handle and manage, you know, very, very high amounts of stress. That goes back to the whole threshold notion that I mentioned at the top. That's a good point. And I know, I mean, I've heard this before that, you know, your thoughts and your mindset and how you feel about aging can really impact your stress and anxiety levels, of course, as well, and perhaps your aging process. I fully agree with that. When you manage stress and anxiety lifelong, I believe you die healthy. Mm. You square the curve mentally, emotionally, and physically. You know, centenarians, you know this as well. From various pockets around the world, Sardinia in Italy, Nicoya in Costa Rica, Icaria in Greece, these are the blue zones, Loma Linda, California, Okinawa in Japan, they all have diets and lifestyle and a way of life that's healthier than most of us do in North America. But the research shows that the most common, the most important common denominator of longevity is that all these centenarians share a sense of purpose, mm. right? This is very important to the mental faculty. The Japanese call this ikigai, and it loosely translates to a reason to get up in the morning. So if you regularly come back to this notion, the core essence of your purpose, then it fuels a routine of engaging in behaviors that support longevity. Much of Centenarian's core values are deeply rooted in family, close friends, culture, a belief system, again, whether that's religious or not. And if you maintain a sense of value and continue to be a meaningful, contributing member of society, this fuels that individual sense of purpose. Couldn't agree more. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? What advice would you give them to take care of their mental health at that age? My 20-year-old self... You're asking me to go back 27 years. There you go. I'm really dating myself. So I got to say, you know, we all have mental, emotional predispositions. I believe probably my Achilles heel at that age was probably taking things too personally and seriously. And I got to think that that probably, you know, ages us faster as well. That leads to, you know, anxiety when we overthink things. So, you know, I really appreciated this book written by Don Miguel Ruiz. It's a very short read. Everyone should read it. It's called The Four Agreements. I wish I had read that earlier, maybe at age 20. And the second chapter focuses on the idea that under no circumstances should we ever take anything personally. And I believe that once I did really encapsulate that and live by those words, you know, that stress is just water off the back. Don't take it personally. It was never intended to be a personal thing. It's typically about whatever else that other person's got going on in their life, their problems, their issues. So don't let them impart their negativity and their stress and anxiety onto you. Very, very important. I know personally that, you know, you do travel the world and try to attain the latest in health. You know, are there some myths surrounding mental health and overall health that you come across on an often basis that you're passionate about debunking? 
if I were to stay directly in my lanes as it pertains to my level of expertise clinically, it would be to investigate the raw materials that, you know, these manufacturers develop around the world that supply the consumer-facing brands of supplements. So these are herbs, nutraceuticals, which are, you know, amino acids, for example, homeopathics, vitamins, minerals. There's a whole host and class of these different ingredients. I got to tell you, I'm very, very proud of what we've done in Canada as it pertains to the Natural Health Products Directorate, who assign these NPN numbers to the large majority of these ingredients you see on supplement bottles. We call this structure function claim. So what this bottle of stuff is going to potentially do for you within reason, but it's still very much a buyer beware environment. Environment. There are a lot of supplements that do deliver on promise, at least in context of what we're talking about here. One of my favorites, for example, is sun theanine. This is a very special class of fermented extract of this amino acid theanine, which has well over 90 human clinical trials proven to increase focus, attention, alertness, concentration, and relaxation helps to induce alpha wave activity, which is the level of activity we want more of in our brains that thwarts anxiety and helps us to relax. So sun theanine does an incredible job. Anyone can take this couple hundred milligrams twice a day. It's found in green tea, naturally occurs in green tea. It's hard to get that therapeutic dose just from drinking green tea, but folks can take this supplement and that works. Regular theanine, regular L-theanine probably doesn't work. It's prohibitively expensive, for example, to extract theanine out of green tea. So you'll see a lot of bottles and they'll say theanine from green tea. It's an overt lie. You can't do that. Again, it's not only prohibitively expensive, it wouldn't work. So the effects of supplementing theanine to induce alpha wave, you need to look on the bottle for sun theanine. That'll work. But L-theanine and, you know, I don't know, hundreds of other products probably won't. And there's really interesting probiotic, by the way, called vitilongum, which is three different strains of bifidobacterium longum. And typically it's interesting, these aren't found in the gut after about age two, but they're found in very high concentrations in a group of centenarians in Italy and then cultured and manufactured and used in capsule form for anyone who wants to potentially put years on their life using probiotics. So it gets really, really interesting. Biohacking is a huge thing these days. I think a lot of folks look to the internet, of course, and come across, you know, just troves of information. It's hard to sift through. It's still very much buyer beware. But in context of reducing anxiety and managing emotional states, and at the same time, living a longer, healthier life, there's a lot of technology out there that I have a high affinity to because the evidence is there, you know, scientifically proven things like PEMF or pulsed electromagnetic frequencies, bioelectric magnetic energy resonance. So Beamer is a device that you can lie on that increases circulation, microcirculation. We all need more of that. There's TDCS or transcranial direct current stimulation. You can apply these little pads to your forehead, turn it on, and it'll send signals through your prefrontal cortex to induce that alpha state that I was talking about. Reduces anxiety. That's great. So Bryce, as we're nearing the end of our podcast here, for our listeners, what are Bryce Wild's number one and number two tips that people can implement today that are going to help them with their mental health and trying to manage their stress and anxiety over time? Sure. To summarize, without, you know, delivering age-old rhetoric or things people have heard before, you know, we've largely spoken about stress and anxiety, you know, today as it pertains to the brain. Most people feel like anxiety sits in the brain. There's actually two other mini brains. There's the gut brain and 
in the heart brain. So managing these two other centers, I believe are my number one and number two, and just eating more fiber, eating a rainbow of fruits and vegetables every single day, you know, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple. We've heard that before, but soluble fiber is the fuel to these good bacteria that confer health benefit. And the heart brain, one of the most powerful implications of this information, Brent, is that by optimizing your heart rhythm, you can positively influence your state of mind. And one of the most effective ways to do this by various proving breathing techniques is something I call the box breath. So in through your nose for four, you hold for four, out through pursed lips for four, hold that for four. You repeat that for two minutes. My friend, you can ground yourself anywhere, anytime, reduced anxiety and cortisol that we've been talking about in the blink of an eye, even if it's, you know, road rage or that looming deadline. So heart brain, manage that better. Gut brain, manage that better. That's my one-two, Brent. All right, you heard it from Bryce Wild himself. It is heart brain and gut brain are the number one and two to take into consideration for your mental health. Bryce, thank you so much again for joining us. A wealth of information. You got it, my friend. I really appreciate it. And thanks for all that you do in your efforts to get folks to think fitness. But we know how important that is. Fitness is probably up there as just important as anything else I mentioned. So thanks so much for having me on, Brent. Thank you. Couldn't agree with you more. Well, that's it, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Beyond Age, an exclusive podcast from Manulife. Tune in to next episode where we talk to Dr. Dana Lee Bagley, a registered clinical psychologist in Halifax, Nova Scotia, about the power and science of building healthy habits. Don't forget to check out our website, manulife.ca slash live healthier for more tips, videos, and content from Manulife that can help you live healthier for longer, no matter your age. The thoughts, views, and opinions of the host and guests do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Manulife.